Welcome to the Gary Smith Show. For the next hour, Gary will be taking your calls and answering your emails as he discusses personal development as it relates to your business, your career, and your personal life. Gary is a successful businessman and entrepreneur and is the founder and president of Optimum Performance Technologies, LLC. Gary is a business consultant, business and personal coach, and a professional speaker and writer who has dedicated his life to helping businesses and individuals develop and implement plans to take their companies and their lives to new levels of performance and success. Gary is the author of two outstanding books, The Shepherd and the Princess, Seven Keys to Conquering the Goliaths in Your Life, and Achieving Unusual Greatness, Timeless Lessons from the Trail Already Blazed. If you have a question or comment for Gary, please call in at 860-432-9735 or email him at questions at optex.com. You can also learn more about Gary by visiting his website, optex.com. And now, here's Gary Smith. Good morning. Welcome to the Gary Smith Show here on 1550 AM WSDK in Hartford, Connecticut. Glad to have you along for the ride this morning and a special shout out to Zach Hutchinson, the producer for the show today. Uh, Glad to have him with us today to take care of all the technical uh, issues. And thanks very much to Al Kim for having me on Rise and Shine this morning. We had a chance to visit a little bit and I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing that again. Wow, I'll tell you, beautiful, uh, beautiful day. As Al said, uh, we've been highlighting on his show the uh, the weather, uh, and uh, and what a great show! Some great music there. It's just a beautiful day today, and as I said, uh, glad to have you along for the ride, and thank you for allowing me to uh, to be your tour guide. Today we have a really, really special show. Um, it's going to be dealing with positive attitude, happiness, and how that impacts your life. And if you will, uh, before we get to our special guest, just kind of allow me to set the stage a little bit. I want you to envision a time in our history uh, back in the 1950s, because at that point in time, um, it's not like it is to, it wasn't like it is today. Uh, interracial marriages were, were not encouraged. Uh, in fact, they were frowned on all the way around. But imagine in the 1950s uh, being the product of an interracial marriage between a, a black father and a, and a white mother. Uh, that would have started things off a little bit rough for your life uh, in the beginning. And then at five years old, imagine your parents divorcing and your mother having to raise you and your brother in really abject poverty. Now, how many of us, uh, fortunately, didn't have to go through those circumstances? But if you stop and think about it, how many of you, if you had to face those kinds of circumstances, would have been able to survive and get, uh, get out of your circumstances, get beyond and rise above those kinds of circumstances. Uh, but in addition to that, imagine starting off that way and at the age of 10 being completely paralyzed and in a wheelchair as a result of, uh, of, of polio and meningitis. Add that onto it and how many of you would be able to rise above those circumstances? Well, our guest today is Myra Goldick. And Myra Goldick comes from exactly that background, and yet she has been able to rise above that. Uh, She was a successful model. She was a corporate executive, uh, built a a really fabulous career for herself, 
And now she is a, a, an artist, she is an author, she's a professional speaker, she's a radio talk show host, and she is still giving back and helping others and is just one of the happiest, most joyful people I've had the opportunity to get to know. I only met uh, Myra just a few weeks ago, but, uh, but she has been a real blessing to me. And she is our special uh, guest today. If you want to learn a little bit more about her, you can find her at MyraGoldick.com. That's M-Y-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-C-K.com. And we're going to, at this point, jump right into our interview with, uh, with Myra, and I know that you'll be blessed, so uh, just listen closely. Okay, everyone. Well, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, our special guest today is Myra Goldick. And I have to say, uh, Myra and I have just started to get to know each other over the past uh, three or four weeks. But I will tell you, Myra has been such a blessing in my life because she is uh, one of the happiest, most positive people. She is a tremendous overcomer, as you're going to hear today. So, Myra, I just, first of all, just want to thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to be with us today. It's just a real joy to have you here. And it's a pleasure to be with you, Gary. So let's uh, let's jump in. I've got a, a number of questions I want to talk with you about today, so that uh, so that we can learn more about you, and so that our listening audience can really find out not only who you are, but some of the things that you've been through in your life, and and how you have turned that all, all for uh, for good. So I know in some of our past conversations, Myra, you've spoken about overcoming the disappointments and, and adversity in your life. And, and you've certainly done that. But talk to our listening audience about that, about some of the things that you've overcome and, you know, and how old you were when some of these things started happening to you. Well, actually, if I turn the clock back to my very young entry into the world, a little baby, I was born into a very dysfunctional family. Nothing unusual about that. It happens every day. But I had two immigrant parents. My mother was from Austria and my father from Trinidad, which was not exactly popular <laughs> during those years because I've been around a while. So in that environment, in an unhappy home life, when they uh, eventually got divorced when I was five, and which left my mother to raise my brother and I alone, and we suffered from extreme poverty and oh, different schools, single room occupancies. Uh, there was domestic violence before the the divorce, and some substance abuse. So it wasn't really an easy landing. It was rather bumpy. But the worst of it came when I became completely paralyzed by one of the most dreaded childhood diseases in the 50s, and that was polio, because they didn't really seriously control polio epidemics in the Western world until the mid-70s. It started with the Sabin vaccine, and uh, they started to control it, but I missed it by a couple of days. So now I'm in this environment of unhappiness, poverty, evictions, moving, living in one single room 
with my mother, brother, and sharing community kitchen and bathroom in a wheelchair. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it it wasn't exactly fun, but I, I really started very early in life to develop coping tools. And I will say that it took me quite a while to learn to really understand that happiness and success in life can only be created by yourself. It can't be gifted to you. It, you can't, it, it's not by association. It comes from within, and that's what I focus on. It took me a while, and I'm not going to say it was easy because I was out of school for three years embraces and uh, with crutches and the wheelchair and the whole bit and returned to school at 13. And luckily for me, I believed, well, I, I won't even say I believed. My only defense from the age five on was to be creative because I never had any childhood friends or anything. We didn't stay anywhere long enough for me to have associations, and I was raised in Manhattan, so my mother was very strict about any hanging out in in the street or courtyard, so that was a no-no. So I learned that my crayons and coloring books were my best friends, and they could make anything gloomy, dark, and ugly beautiful. So those were what I learned to use to help myself through the darkest times. But when I returned to high school, that was the real shock. I really, if you can remember 13, what's the most important thing when you're 13 to fit in? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I didn't exactly fit in. And it was an it was an art school, music and art, in fact, in Manhattan, which uh, ultimately became part of the performing art school in Lower Manhattan. But this was part of City College at the time. And uh, I was the invisible crippled child, so I spent a good deal of those high school years doing very self-destructive things, hanging out with people that were older, out of school very self-destructive behavior, which culminated in a suicide attempt when I was in my late teens. And that's when I began to learn what I needed to do. I wish I had known earlier I could have saved myself a lot of heartache. (laughs) So basically, I, I, I talk about the method, and I don't know if you want me to explain it, right now or what gary well let's i mean this is this is a beginning of a really really powerful story myra and uh, and one of the things i have to say right out of the gate is i admire your strength and uh and not only how you've overcome because i know part of that story that our listeners are going to get to hear more of but um I, I guess the thing that i find wonderful about it is that you didn't let it keep you down and that you, you know, you've not only found a way to, you know, to deal with it, that you're willing to, you know, to share your, your story. Um, 
I guess maybe the next question I want to talk with you a little bit about is, you know, you talk about things from the, you know, from the perspective, as you said, you know, being the crippled child, being that physically challenged individual. How do you think that the, you know, the method, if you will, and the lessons that you have to teach uh, apply to those people who are, are able-bodied? You know, they don't have the physical disabilities and things like that, and yet they're out there and they're so desperately searching for happiness. Well, happiness is, is something that the entire world searches for. It crosses gender, it crosses ethnicity, religion, countries, any boundaries, everyone wants to be happy. But the question here is, can you define happiness? And I think that's a key question, because if you can't say what it is, how do you find it? You can ask a dozen people. You will come up with a dozen different answers. We all know that the components that are necessary to be happy. One would be uh, love in your life. Second would be financial stability. Third would be um, to, to feel a passion and a desire for living. There, you, can, you can wrap it up. I mean, you've got to have health. On some level, you have to at least have the major components to really know where you look for happiness. How do you find it? What's missing? I've asked my grandchildren, and they're very young, how do you define happiness? They shrug my, their shoulders and say, well, you know, it's that good feeling that, you know, you know, you know, and I said, no, I don't. Tell me what it means to you. And that's the problem. Most people can't really sit down and say, well, something's missing. They may even have a great job. They might have be in a good relationship. They may have what appears to be all of the components, but there's a hole in there somewhere that leaves them empty. Well, they know the answer. And that is what I addressed in my workbook, Focused, Unstuck, and Back in Action. Let's get below the surface, below what society says you should be doing, below what your partner says you should be doing, or what you've been taught that you should be doing to create happiness in your life. A bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger this, a this, that, and the other. And you're still empty? Well, figure it out. And only, only the person who feels the whole can do that with help, with guidance. So that, that's my focus. And I think it crosses the line. It doesn't matter whether you are unhealthy for some reason and you are working to survive. It doesn't matter. You and or able-bodied. In fact, I would say that able-bodied community finds more reason to gripe and complain than the people that I have known that have serious mobility or emotional challenges, learning disabilities. So it's something you learn. 
Well, I think you, you hit something right there, and that is that I agree with you completely. I think that, that those who are able-bodied do gripe and complain more uh, than, than others. And, and I agree with you, the, the, the whole concept of happiness is something that, you know, it's one of those things where I know what it is, but I can't describe it. Uh, and so that becomes a challenge. And I know, uh, I think it was back in 2006, I was actually over in, uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, in Kazakhstan. I taught, uh, taught there at a university for, uh, for a period of time. And one of the classes I had was, a, uh, was with a, a group on strategic planning. And one of the first things that I, uh, I asked them to do was to develop a personal mission statement that kind of described what their purpose in life was. And initially, they were a little bit screwed up about that. They didn't understand how, how that applied to the class. And I said, well, if you're talking about strategic planning, you're talking about taking perhaps a very, very large multinational corporation and establishing a direction for that company. How can you possibly do that if you can't establish a direction for your own life? And so much of what we run into is situational. So these kids were the first kids uh, coming up in Kazakhstan, growing up in Kazakhstan after the Russians had left. And so they had come from pretty humble backgrounds. And as a result of that, they were their, their purpose in life was we want to have the fancy homes and the fancy cars. We want to have lots of money. We want to be able to travel the world. We want to have a yacht in the Mediterranean and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and one day I was sitting with them and I said, guys, I want, to, I want you to picture something. I want, to, I want you to envision yourself. Close your eyes and paint a picture of your mind of being 95 years old. You're on your deathbed and your doctor has just left your side and has told you that you have less than 24 hours to live. At that point in time, under those set of circumstances, what will be most important to you? Will it be the seven bedroom, seven bathroom home that you live in when you can't even get out of bed and go to your own bathroom? Will it be the $150,000 car that's sitting out in your driveway that you can't drive anymore? Will it be the yacht in the Mediterranean that you'll never ever see again? And I said, my point to you is this, and this is what I want you to consider. And that is that life is about people and relationships, not about money and things. And, and Very that, well said, Gary. Very well said. You know, I, I, and I think if we look at life from that perspective, you know, that we realize that the things we really treasure in life are the people that we've surrounded ourselves with, the relationships that we've built. Uh, I mean, just in the short time that you've known and I, you know, you and I have known each other, I have felt so blessed in making a connection with you and learning from you and, and from your story. It's just those are the sorts of things that when I'm 95 years old, I'm going to look back on and say, wow. That made that was a component. That was a piece of the puzzle that made my life worthwhile. And yes, indeed, I am very, very happy as a result of it. I know you. You're a very wise person, and I'm very impressed by you, Gary. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a guest on your show. I'm saying it because I've had you visit on my show. I've listened to your stories. I've listened to your accomplishments, and I've I've listened to your underlying feelings about life and your mission in life. And that's essentially what I talk about in both of my books. The focused book is a workbook. It's a very short book that gives you a direction, which I was taught 
by a mentor, which happened to be a teacher, an English literature teacher, when I was 17. And I've used that method over and over and over again in my life because what makes you feel happy and content at one period of your life may not necessarily, as you just said, make you happy at another point in your life. So it really has to be a bit deeper than what we superficially think is going to make us happy because we have not spent the time to examine how you feel when you do certain things. I mean, you know, everybody can be elated when they get that first big Bentley or Mercedes or whatever it is, that the, the toy that they have. And they're so excited and they love the new car smell. But that new car becomes an old car and you need another high to bring it back. And it's a superficial high. It's like this rainbow-colored soap bubble that comes into your line of vision and you want to reach out and touch it and the minute you put your hand near it it goes pop and disappears and where's all that happiness gone (laughs) you know so you really have to go a bit deeper and I have had to do it several times in my life each time I've had to reinvent myself change my thinking because of circumstances and circumstances are always changing there is nothing that remains the same nothing we age our people relationships and sometimes tragically all kinds of things happen you need to know who you are so that you can rise to the occasion face the adversity and live the best life possible so that when you are 95 years old and we're all seeming to live a lot longer recently you then feel I am pleased with my life I accomplished what was important I feel good about who I am and it's and it's really my message to the world and if anybody should doubt why I feel so strongly about this. If you read even parts of Dancing on Your Disability, you will know that I know firsthand that you just don't develop happiness. You learn it. It's a method. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of accepting adversity. It's a way of persevering through adversity. And adversity is part of life. Oh. No one escapes. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's so much wisdom in what you what you just said there, Myra. Oh, wow! A powerful start to our conversation with uh, with Myra Goldick, and and looking at things from the standpoint of how do you go about defining happiness? I mean, we each have to do it, uh, but we have to be careful about how we do it, and it needs to be based on who we are and what we want our lives to be about. And one of the things that I've uh, experienced in my life, and I know probably many of you have too, is that we tend to define happiness externally and not internally because it's it's based on our expectations of things, as an example, like uh, how other people treat us and our material possessions and things like that. And I can honestly tell you that when you approach life that way, you're setting yourself up for failure because it's just not fulfilling. 
Uh, there's still that hole. And so I think all of us need to realize that happiness is really an inside job, that it has to be based on who we are and what we want to accomplish and the goals that we're reaching for and how we're overcoming the circumstances in our life and not the, the possessions that we have or how we expect other people to, to treat us or the expectations that we put on other people uh, for what they're supposed to do. Anyway, we're going to take a really quick break here. And when we get back, we will have more of our interview with Myra Goldick. We'll be right this back. This Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, listen to Word of Truth, the preaching ministry of Truth Baptist Church in South Windsor. This week, Pastor Bim Rowley will begin a new series called Spiritual Living. Learn what the book of 1 Corinthians says about living a life that's pleasing to God. Truth Baptist Church is located at 60 Burnham Street in South Windsor with Sunday services at 1030 and 6. They believe in teaching God's truth in an environment of love. Word of Truth can be heard every Saturday morning at 9 on 1550 AM WSDK. Bright skies and seasonably warm through the afternoon, low to mid-80s across the Connecticut Valley near 60 tonight. Sunshine again for tomorrow, still warm, still dry, low 80s. The outlook ahead for Monday, mostly sunny, fairly seasonable, low 80s. Randy Berkson with a WSDK weather update. We hear a lot about leadership these days. What does God tell us in his word about the topic? On the next Sports Spectrum, we're looking at keys to effective leadership. We'll visit with NASCAR's Blake Cook and Milwaukee Brewers assistant coach John Shelby. Keys to effective leadership. We'll talk about it on the next Sports Spectrum. Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock right here on Life Changing Radio. Welcome back to The Gary Smith Show. Uh, Again, it's great to have you folks on, and we're just having a wonderful time with our interview with Myra Goldick. Uh, If you didn't get a chance, if you're tuning in late, uh, please uh, go out to my website at optex.com after the broadcast, and uh, we'll post the uh, the entire show out there so you can grab it and listen to it. I mean, there is so much richness in what we're getting from Myra that it's one of those things where you can just listen to it over and over and over again, and you'll still get little nuggets of things that she said that are really uh, amazing, amazing clues for living a successful life. If you have any questions, give us a call, 860-432-9735, uh, text 860-856. 860-856-7193 or email questions at optex.com. Uh, we are on a tight schedule for the show today, but I really want to get back into uh, part two of our interview with Myra Goldick. And since you've talked a little bit about it, and you you uh, you you do have this uh, the book that you've written, Dancing on Your Disabilities. Uh, tell us why did you name uh, that the book? Uh, why did you give it that title? And and what are some of the key gems that our readers are going to get out of it? Okay, I had a very specific reason for naming the book the way I did. Initially, when I was very young, my father was in show business. Uh, I used to see him with these beautiful dancers. And I had this fantasy of growing up and wearing red high heels and being a dancer. Of course, that never happened because of the polio. But I was speaking metaphorically about dancing. I'm speaking about the spiritual dance we do through life. It's an attitude. Dancing in itself is something we do at celebrations. It's something we do to take us to a different place in time. You can experience romantic dancing, invigorating dancing. We even exercise to music, and it's, it's like a dance. So dancing to me is something we do spiritually. 
have a little story. About six years ago, maybe a little longer, we were new in Florida. So I would say maybe seven years ago, my husband said to me, hey, the Hard Rock Cafe has a special, which is a casino. Now, we're not gamblers. And uh, he said, if we go, we get to have a free dinner, free valet parking, and we get a free $25 gift uh, card to use in the one-armed bandit. Oh, cool. I couldn't wait to go. Yeah, let's go. So you never saw anybody get dressed so fast (laughs) in a flash. When we pull up to the entrance, it was extremely busy. It was a Saturday night. And I haven't mentioned, but in the 90s, I developed post-polio syndrome. And for any kind of distance walking or more than half a block, I used a scooter. And he said to me, would you like to take your scooter, which was nicely tucked away in the back of the car? And, oh, no, I said, feeling very vain and proud. No, uh, it was a decision I regretted the minute I got into the place because it was enormous and packed with people. And I managed to get through dinner. And then the highlight was the casino. It took me about five minutes to go through my $25 in the, in the one-armed bandits. So I look around and there's my husband about 10 machines away. I'm flat broke at this point, and he's up. He's up 50 bucks. His machine is reading $75 in credits. And I walk over to him in my sweetest approach. Honey, oh my goodness, you're up. You're up 50 bucks. Can you share some of that with me? Nope. What? He said, I know when I'm ahead. I'm cashing out. I was so angry at him. I, I said, well, meet me at the lounge. I'm going to go listen to some music, and you can at least buy me a glass of wine. So I'm sitting at the lounge. Now I'm sorry for myself because everybody's dancing. And one thing I must say about pity parties is that I don't care if you serve the best imported caviar and wine. No one's coming. (laughs) You're just going to eat and drink alone. So I'm sitting on this overcrowded couch, watching everybody dance, feeling left out. There's Neil, big smile with a glass of wine. And he said, honey, when a slow dance comes on, would you like to dance? I'll hold you up. No, thank you. I'll just watch. And then, out of the corner of my eye, I see a glint of metal. And onto the dance floor comes this girl in a power chair. She flew onto the, the, the floor, turned that power chair in every direction. Even the band members stopped to dance with her. 
everyone on that floor danced with her. She was laughing. She was enjoying her life. She felt good about herself. She was not wrapped in pity. I have no idea what her disability was or why she was in the chair. But I turned to my husband and said, now that's dancing on your disabilities. And she, I never met her. I will never forget her. And it is for that reason I named the book Dancing on Your Disability because she taught me a lesson that night. And I, I hope for some strange reason she may think back if she ever hears this story and say, oh, I wonder if she was talking about me because she really was motivating. And I've never embraced that type of self-absorbed pity again. Wow. I'll tell you, that is that is such a powerful story, Myra. I mean, I'm just reflecting on that as you're, as you're telling it. And man, I'll tell you, it really does bring the point across that, you know, that happiness is created in the heart and the mind and that it really has nothing to do with the body. It has nothing to do with the body. And how you view yourself is how others will view you. She did not view herself in a negative light. She viewed herself as part of the crowd. And I'm going to have fun. And that was the lesson. And that's why I decided to name the book dancing on your disabilities because for the most part through my entire life I have danced on my disability but every now and then I found that I would think backwards no more I, I would I hope that I will never allow myself to even entertain the thought that in some way I'm disabled and I know that we need to use that term to describe people that have mobility challenges or learning disabilities such as ADHD or ADD or OCD or whatever it might be because the government has labeled people with that description. When I was a kid, they called people with physical challenges crippled. Well, that word went out of style, thank heavens, in this country. Now I feel that disabled is also a negative word because it implies that you're not able in some form. And although you may have challenges, I, for the most part, I have found that people with challenges try harder than anybody else to produce quality work. So my mission is to level the playing field. So we stop thinking of people as unable. We think of them first as people with talents and skills and uh, of value to society. And then after, we may recognize the fact that they have a challenge that we have to make accommodations for. But first, we have to see the person. That is that is such a powerful a powerful statement that we have to see everybody as a worthwhile human being, 
uh, no matter where they are in life. And, and I agree with you. I believe that there are, there are people out there who have faced challenges in their lives. And if, like you, Meyer, they've, they've allowed their challenges to make them stronger, uh, then as a result of that, yes, they may have some limitations. They may not have the mobility uh, you know, to be able to get out and do certain things. But they bring so much uh, energy and so much enthusiasm and so much determination uh, to the things that they do because that's the only reason they've survived as long as they have, is that they've had to learn to, you know, to do that sort of stuff. Wow, uh, really, really great conversation with, uh, with Myra. And again, she's just sharing some really, really rich stuff in that, you know, happiness has nothing to do with your body. Happy ha- happiness has nothing to do with your circumstances. Uh, it's, it's what you decide that you're going to create with your life, and it's creating that positive attitude and using that to fuel uh, your ability to move forward. And regardless of the circumstances that you're in, and the circumstances may be some sort of physical impairment or illness that you're dealing with. It may be um, you know, poverty circumstances, financial difficulties. You can always rise above those circumstances if you maintain the right attitude and then be determined to go forward. Uh, I just posted, uh, I think it was this morning, a, a quote that I found on, uh, on one of the books that I was reading, and it says, you know, giving up on your goal because of a temporary setback is like slashing the three other tires of your car just because you got a flat. Uh, you know, we all hit those little bumps in the road, as Myra was saying, and we all, you know, we all slide back sometimes because we're human, and in our humanness, we're going to have issues. We're going to have problems, and that's okay as long as we don't give up. As long as we keep moving forward, and sometimes we're going to have that pity party, but remember what Myra said. You can have the pity party, and you can serve the finest wine and the best caviar or the world fame, you know, some of the most world-famous cheeses around. Nobody's going to play. Nobody's going to show up because they don't want to be around you when you're, when you're in that kind of a, a mood. So shake it off and, and move forward with your life. Uh, let's get back to our, our conversation with Myra and see what she has to share in part three of our interview. And that kind of leads me into another thing that maybe is a little bit of a shift uh, in our discussion. But um, how in the world, as a a mobility challenged adult, how did you manage to become so successful in corporate America? I really want to hear that part of your story. Well, first, I have to explain a little bit about the condition. And I would like to preface what I say by warning people that the only defense that you have against childhood diseases is vaccination. And I am very against the anti-vaccination movement because various childhood diseases are showing up again. We are a global society, and these diseases exist. They don't disappear because we've vaccinated, we've killed off the virus, they disappear because our we're protected against the infection. Polio is one of the only neurological diseases. By the way, it's spreading in, in uh, third world countries. It was the actual wild polio virus was recently found in the sewers in Israel. And uh, polio can be spread through a carrier, and if you are exposed to the wild polio virus, 
either in Pakistan or in any of the Middle East countries that still has an unvaccinated population of, of young people, that virus can be spread through a carrier who will shed the virus without any symptoms of polio whatsoever for 10 days. So they can be in Afghanistan, in uh, parts of Africa that still have a wild polio virus. They can even have contacted it. I mean, it's showing up in places where it hasn't been for 10 years because of our efforts to vaccinate people worldwide. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to warn people about that. Polio is a very strange uh virus, it enters the body in the same way a stomach virus does. And in many, many millions of polio cases, it goes undiagnosed because the person with who is infected with the virus doesn't develop paralytic polio. It's when the polio hits the, the central nervous system, it travels up the spine and enters the brain, that it does its dirty work and its damage and kills the, the various nerves in the central nervous system that control our motor neurons, which help us move, walk, move, and ambulate and do just about everything. And what happens initially is that the paralysis, whether it's vulvar polio or um, the uh, physical spinal, with spinal meningitis, and it causes physical paralysis, bulbars of the throat and the breathing, and it usually takes a while for your central nervous system to regain strength. Now, if it has killed the nerve, it's never going to come back, but if it's damaged the nerve to one degree or another, that nerve will grow sprouts little sprouts, just like a baby, like a tree, that may have an illness on the inside, little baby sprouts will grow out. So you don't know that that tree is rotting on the inside. Well, those sprouts fool the polio survivor into believing they have regained a great deal of their strength. So over that seven-year period where I first was totally paralyzed, then went through therapy, braces, crutches, several surgeries, exercise, operations, all that stuff, I was growing stronger. So by the time I was 18, 19, I was pretty able to mask it. Yes, I did still have a limp. Uh, yes, I did still have atrophy, but I had an extremely tenacious personality and I what I wanted I went after and I was really very not honest about coming clean with myself about my limitations so I I put a lot of stress on my body and it was very important to me to be successful even though I was married and a mother at that time. By the time I got into my late 20s, I was an artist. I wanted my
my own career. Both of my kids were in school full-time at that point, and I went full steam ahead. And I did a pretty good job of, of disguising my limitations. There is one thing I'd like to say to the listeners. There is a lot of help out there uh, through the Americans with Disability Act, which did not exist at my, uh, when I was in the late 70s and 80s when I was entering the corporate world. But there are special parking permits in large cities that allow you to to move around freely if you are, you have uh, mobility issues there's lots of there's a lot of help uh, around to make life successful for you and I worked myself to the bone to get to the top I started as a model can you believe that I, I mean, it, what I did to my body is, is disgraceful because that's how you develop post-polio sen- syndrome, overwork. And I was in complete denial. It took about 10 years into my career before I really began to think something was terribly, terribly wrong. And I saw a 60-minute program because I, I actually thought I was going crazy because what I was able to do at 19 and 20, I wasn't able to do anymore at 29. And I, I questioned, what's the matter with me? Am I, am I imagining that I'm going backwards? 60 Minutes did an expose on polio and the late effects of polio and that most paralytic polio cases end up back in wheelchairs. Well, that's all I needed to hear. I knew that's what I had. But I still denied it. I I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to accept it. So I didn't modify my lifestyle at all, and I just continued to climb the corporate ladder. And with with total disregard for what I was doing to myself, but I was it was great. I I was successful. I was being accepted for who I was and my my value to society to corporate America. I was well known, and I was based out of Manhattan. I worked for, for some very very prestigious prestigious companies, and I called on. Um, corporate accounts such as Saks and Macy's, and how could I give that up? How could I slow down? And then, boom, I got hit with post-polio syndrome, full-blown, full-blown, and I knew that I had to reinvent myself. I had to leave because I couldn't do the traveling. I was up, I, at that particular point, I was with a company that was thinking that I would be the next VP of sales. And I had to take a good long look in the mirror and say, let's be honest here, Myra. You know you can't do it physically. So I left and I crashed. <laughs> just, just crashed and burned. It took me about six months. And if anybody is aware of the disability laws, you, you first go out on short-term disability and then long-term disability kicks in and you have to be unemployed for about 12 months or 
or so to be eligible for disability. Well, that was the most negative thing in the world to me because I defined myself through what I did for a living. So after I had myself a nice little two or three day pity party and decided that everybody was staying away, as I explained earlier on, even my kids, I mean, nobody was coming near me. I was in the throes of self-pity again. I said, okay, let's dust off the method of focused, unstuck, and back in action and figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I went back to school. I, I looked for help from the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. I retrained. I started another career. And uh, it, it, the, the method that I am teaching has nothing to do with disability. It has to do with creating purpose, passion, and happiness in your life. I just happen to be disabled, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. Wow, I could sit for hours with you, Myra, and and uh, and listen to this because there's just so many little nuggets of gold to be pulled out of the words that you're saying um, to, you know, to really latch on to uh, and, and facing the situations that you did. And and you're exactly right. I mean, it applies in so many different situations. Uh, you know, in some of my other radio shows, I've talked about uh, things like recareering when someone gets laid off from a job or the company that they work for closes because of uh, either because of mismanagement or because of bad economic circumstances or whatever and they can't find work in a similar field that doesn't mean that they're that they're destroyed it means that they need to take inventory that they need to to look at their lives and and as you said reinvent themselves and be able to move forward and and look at what they're passionate about look at what they're good at and start uh, start doing some other things and many times when i see people doing that uh not only does it work but it turns out to be some of the some of the greatest blessings in their lives uh which is is really really cool to see Wow, I hope you're enjoying uh, our interview with Myra as much as I am. Uh, it's just great to hear it again. And because we're running tight on the show today, I want to make sure that you all have an opportunity to listen uh, to the final segment of our interview. So we're going to jump right in there now. There, there is one other thing I want to talk with you just a little bit about today, and that is uh, you have your own radio show called Never Say Impossible. And one of the quotes that I picked up from you is you say that the key to overcoming the hard times and succeeding beyond ordinary expectations is to recognize that anything is possible if you believe it is. So talk a little bit about that quote and tell us the story behind your never impossible or never say impossible radio show. <laughs> uh, by the way, I have two. I have a never say impossible really is based around business success and uh, information to the public. Well, I've got to take you back a little ways to tell you where that name came from. Uh, <laughs> when I awakened after the 10 days I was in a coma, after having had polio, I, I was not expected to live, and I had had an out-of-body experience. And I said to the nurse, I, and I was so young, I really wasn't really totally aware of how ill I really was. But I said to her, was, 
their priest giving me last rites, and she looked so shocked. She said to me, how could you know that? You were in a coma. I said, because I saw it. And what I witnessed was that I was in the corner of the room looking at the lifeless body, my body, and the priest observing it. They had already called my mother, said she's not expected to make it through the night, but I did. The miracle happened. I survived. And I survived for a reason. And I believe that that reason is to help others. Now, about two or three days later, a team of doctors walked into my room. And I was beginning to realize how badly I had been affected by the polio. And they, it was, they, they were holding charts and talking in medical terminology and testing every little part of my body. And I failed every test miserably. And I began to cry. And I, I, I wiped the tears. Well, I didn't. The nurse wiped the tears from my eyes, my hands. I couldn't even lift my hands to wipe my own tears away. And I blurted out in the middle of the room, from my bed, I'm paralyzed. I'll never move again. I'll never dance. It's impossible. And I'm sobbing. Well, that room fell silent. It was like this enormous vacuum had come down and sucked the words out of every doctor's mouth. There were about eight of them around my bed, all but one doctor. He stepped forward. He took my skinny little lifeless hand in his. He looked straight into my eyes. He had the kindest eyes I've ever seen, Gary. And he looked at me and he said, young lady, never say impossible. And then they were gone. I've never, I don't know his name. I never saw him again. I was transferred to another hospital. But those words are words that I have lived by, and I'd like to share them with your audience. Because once you say something is impossible, you have shut the door to opportunity. You will never see the gift within whatever you're fighting to overcome. You will never understand the blessing. Do not use the word carelessly, because it's your fate. Bright and skies and seasonally warm through the afternoon, low to mid 80s across Connecticut. And also, dancing on your disabilities subtitle is never say impossible to your dreams. Wow, some sound, sound advice there. Uh, an old friend of mine used to say, if you say you can, or if you say you can't, you're right. So it all starts with believing that we can and, and working forward from, from there. So. Well, Myra, our time is, is coming to a close here. Uh, I, I am just so thrilled to have had the opportunity to talk with you, and I look forward to continuing our, our relationship and in the future having you back on the show. Uh, take just a couple of minutes, and I, you know, you're the author of, of two books. Uh, as you mentioned, the workbook on Focused, Unstuck, and Back in Action. You're also the author of Dancing on Our Disabilities, and you've co-authored a book uh, called Mastering the Art of Success. Uh, tell our listeners where they can get those materials. Uh, Bright skies and seasonably warm through the app. Learn more about you. Thank you so much, Gary.
the simplest way is to visit my website, which is myragoldick.com. That's M-Y-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-C-K. You can get the books. You can view my art because, as I mentioned, I'm an artist. You can find out who I am, my story. I'm on Amazon, but the, it, it, the website will tell you everything. And if you forget the website, just Google Myra Goldick because everything I ate for breakfast for the last week is on there. excellent well again Myra thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share your experience and being so transparent and being willing to open up and and talk with our listeners about about your life story Uh, I'm I'm blessed to have you as a a friend and uh, just God bless you thank you so much for being on the show today it was my pleasure and thank you Gary Okay, well, a wonderful, wonderful time with, uh, with Myra Goldick. Uh, thank you again, Myra, for, uh, for coming on the show and for being so transparent. I hope everybody uh, really got a lot out of uh, the time that we've had with her, and we'll uh, certainly plan some time in the future for her to, uh, to come back and, and spend more time with us here on The Gary Smith Show. Thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate you all being here. Um, just to talk a little bit about some things we have coming up next week uh, in honor of, uh, of 4th of July and Independence Day, we're going to be talking about uh, the American dream. Is it still alive? When we stop and think about things related to, uh, you know, to the economy and politics in our country, is it still possible to achieve, to achieve the American uh, dream? So we're going to have some fun there. And then following uh, Beyond, we're going to have some great shows. On July 12th, we'll have Sarah Santa Croce here. And we'll look forward to seeing you guys again. God bless. Live your life with passion. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please mark your calendars and be sure to join us next Saturday at 11 a.m. for another edition of The Gary Smith Show. And remember, there are a number of resources available to assist you at Gary's website, optex.com. Until next week, may God richly bless you. Continued seasonably warm and dry through the afternoon.